Innovation to me means something very specific. It's something new. It has to solve a problem and it has to create value. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another live edition of Manufacturing Happy Hour. This episode is going to be our first, let's call it two-way conversation between myself and our guest today, Chuck Swoboda. Chuck Swoboda does not have a short resume. He is the host of another tech-centric podcast called Innovators on Tap. He's the author of the upcoming book, The Innovator's Spirit. And we cannot forget, he is the former CEO of 16 plus years of Cree Inc., the company that spearheaded the consumer LED light bulb. Just to give you a bit of backstory, this was actually a pretty special episode. I had contacted Chuck and his team a little while ago about doing a joint show, seeing as how their show's called Innovators on Tap, my show's called Manufacturing Happy Hour, seemed very appropriate. And rather than just doing a one-on-one interview, we thought it would be good to take it in front of a live audience in Milwaukee because... Innovators on Tap is part of Marquette University's Innovation Alley. I work for Rockwell Automation, and it seemed like a great opportunity to bring a couple different audiences together. Quite frankly, bring a number of manufacturing leaders in the Milwaukee area together for a podcast as well as an opportunity to connect with one another cool event all around so if you hear anything in the background that's because it was a live show recorded at a brewery milwaukee brewing company to be specific but with that what are the three things you can expect from today's episode well first we get chuck's definition around innovation what it is what it isn't and even challenging some of my beliefs around what innovation really is Second, we talk about career leadership in the context of Chuck's experiences and the idea of not managing your career, but looking for opportunities and solving problems. Finally, Chuck throws a few questions my way and even puts me on the hot seat a couple times. So for those of you that have been listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour for a while, the tables are turned and I hope you enjoy that part of the conversation. As I mentioned, we recorded this at Milwaukee Brewing Company. A big thanks to them for hosting us. You can't see it, but um, it was actually a pretty cool backdrop with all the brewing equipment behind us as we were having the conversation. Make sure to head over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com to check out some of those pictures as well as all the resources that we mentioned throughout this episode. Thanks again to Milwaukee Brewing Company. You'll hear a bit more about them later. Before we get rolling, if you are enjoying Manufacturing Happy Hour, make sure to head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review, preferably a five-star rating and review. It's very easy. Just head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to get sent there. Your feedback is really important to helping me improve the show, and it's always great getting the show on the map as well with some positive reviews. With that, let's not waste any time heading to Milwaukee Brewing Company to grab a drink with Chuck Swoboda. This is a very unique situation because 
two, and maybe arguably the only two beer-fueled tech and innovation podcasts in the world are on stage tonight here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, Chuck, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick things off. I'm curious because let's set some context for the folks out here that might not know your podcast, my podcast, or both of our podcasts. In a life where you were with Cree for 27 years, successful career as a CEO for over 16 of those, you are now the innovator in residence at Marquette. After all of that, where does Innovators on Tap come from? What's the story behind that? So, you know, uh, you spend your career as a CEO and you're busy every day and all of a sudden you're retired and you got a lot of free time. And uh, I found things to do and it really started out with something that happened here at Marquette. So Dr. Rapella, the Dean of Engineering and Kate Trevi uh, asked me to come in one day and talk about something they were doing at Marquette, which is uh, the Innovation Leadership Program. And I decided to provide them some feedback on what they could do better. And they said, that's really great. Now you need to write us a book. So I wrote a book. <laughs> and as I was writing the book, I had this aha moment that I had these great experiences. But I met all these people who had done innovation that you've never heard of. So mm-hmm. instead of the rock star innovator, these are the people sure. that are doing it every day. And I said, you know, we could create something where we could get those stories out there. So that was really the genesis. It was an opportunity to tell all these other stories of innovation that's happening every day. Because I think once people see and realize it's possible, mm-hmm. they're much more willing to do it. And for those of you that are curious, The Innovator's Spirit is the book that Chuck is referring to. It comes out in early May, correct? May 5th. May 5th is the date, so keep an eye out for that. I I like what you say about talking to all these innovators that weren't necessarily rock stars, because that had a lot to do with one of the reasons that Manufacturing Happy Hour came about as well. I imagine some of you out there are podcast listeners, and I feel like in the podcasting world, there's this cycle of a hundred entrepreneurs, like a thousand entrepreneurs that are on every other podcast. But being in the manufacturing industry, looking at all these leaders, people with years of experience and stories to talk to and distill knowledge for the next generation or those that are in the workforce right now, I saw an opportunity to like start sharing those stories on my end to highlight a lot of the knowledge that in my mind, was not really out there in the way it could be, given all the tools and technology that we have right now to distribute that type of content. Yeah, I think what was important is that people realize you don't have to be a rock star CEO to do this. Now, that being said, the way that was pitched to me originally was, this would be great, Chuck. You know, most people think innovators are famous and successful. You could tell your story instead. And I said, what are you saying? I mean, I thought I did pretty well, but apparently I'm the regular guy. So anyways, we, here we are. Well, I mean, you, you are a CEO. I am, I am a, like a plebeian relative to that. I'm an early career guy that has no business being up here. But the way I looked at it was there's, there's a tremendous opportunity for someone that's just getting in to the industry or relatively early in their career to learn a ton from this process. So where I'm always curious is, I love learning from folks like yourself that have been through it, that have seen it all. So that way, not only do I learn in the process, but we have the opportunity to share that with others that are starting their career as well. Well, and you asked me the other day, we were talking and I said, uh, you know, so we must have a different perspective. And actually the reason I do this is I learn. Every person I've met, I've learned something from that despite what I did in my career, you can be learning every day. And mm-hmm. the podcast is an amazing vehicle to get into people and how do they really think? And so for me, it's been a, we probably have a more similar reason for doing it. We're just at different phases of our career. 
I definitely agree with that aspect of it as well. And I love, I love the mission behind your show also, which to set some definition as we go further into this conversation with the show Innovators on Tap, you refer to innovation as a mindset, correct? Can you go into that just to set a baseline for some of our conversation to come? Yeah, so, so I spent 25 years building the company, and, and mm-hmm. innovation to me means something very specific. It's something new. It has to solve a problem, and it has to create value. Mm-hmm. So I distinguish innovation from what a lot of other people would call invention or improvement. So mm. I have to start there first, and when you look at doing what I consider to be innovation, what you realize is that we all talk about process and tools, or we talk about the new part. It's actually solving a problem and creating value is where the hard part is. Mm-hmm. And from what I learned in my own experience, and actually from the podcast, it has more to do with someone's mindset that has to do with any process out there. It's how someone thinks and how they're wired. It's the, you know, are they able to really take the risk necessary to do this? Um, one person asked me one time, I said, you know, I'd like to be in innovation, but I'd like to manage the risk. And they're connected. Innovation and risk are fundamentally linked. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a limited risk budget, you're going to limit how much innovation you can have and vice versa. But that means if you're going to take a lot of risk, it's not going to work a lot. Now, one, one thing I'd like to do with that, and, I, and something that you mentioned that stuck out with me, because I was trying to think, what was my baseline definition of innovation earlier today as I was preparing for this? And I, I just took the really simple scenario scenario of when I'm sitting down somewhere, whether it's in the manufacturing plant, whether it's in a meeting I was trying to think of what are the things that trigger me to say, huh, well, that was innovative. And it really came down to, I guess my baseline definition was around seeing a novel approach to solving a problem was what it came down to. Not necessarily something where you're reinventing the wheel because what you and I do with our podcasts, or let's say what I'm doing with Manufacturing Happy Hour, I'm talking about things that issues, trends, and technologies that impact the manufacturing industry with leaders in that space. You know, it's nothing new per se. People are doing that in certain different ways, but I'm repurposing it for an industry where we don't see it all the time. Yeah, I think that uh, the way I would say it is is that innovation doesn't have to be an idea no one ever thought of before. It could be an old idea applied in a new way to a new problem. In fact, if you look at the success of innovation out there is most of the really great ideas, someone borrowed from another place or another industry and repurposed it. Absolutely. And that's why it's the... Can you take that idea, though, and not just solve a problem, but create value? And the reason I put the value part in there is this. There's a lot of widgets. Think about the U.S. Patent Office. Mm -hmm. Billions of patents. Most of them will never solve a problem or make any difference in the world. But if you can solve a problem and someone will pay you or create value, however that is, that's when you know you've really done something. And that actually comes from an old Thomas Edison quote, which he basically said he didn't want to invent anything that someone wouldn't pay for because that's the only way he knew it was worth doing. Sure. And I'm, I'm curious because I want to tie this into your experience leading ultimately a manufacturing company for so long. Do you have a story that comes to mind, like an example of what innovation looked like at Cree based on the definition you just gave? So I, I want to set the context for that first. Okay. So Cree was a manufacturing company. We were also a technology company. Mm-hmm. And I think what you have to realize is one of the challenges is to be great at manufacturing you have to embrace a set of tools that are well-known, that work really well. I'll just use Six Sigma as a generic, but we know it's broader than that. But mm-hmm. let's just use that concept. I was trained in that, and that's a great tool. It will absolutely not allow you to innovate, to my definition. Because what it's designed to do is to take something and reduce variability to get you a more predictable outcome. 
which is very valuable in a manufacturing plant. You want to do that. The problem is, is that if innovation is something you've never done before, mm -hmm. it's not in the distribution to start with. So you have to actually come up with a way to get people to think of something that's not even within those boundary conditions. And so one of the challenges, I think, in a manufacturing environment is the things that make you really good at manufacturing tend to get in the way of the things you'd want to do for innovation. And so I think one of the advantages we had at Cree was this small company without a lot of resources competing against really big companies. Mm -hmm. So what our disadvantage was, was those lack of resources. So when we built our company, we could not afford R&D equipment. So we did R&D and manufacturing on all the same tools. We ran it in parallel. And what you realized is what we gave up in control and predictability, mm -hmm. we got back in speed and innovation. Now, that being said, when it's time to go to high volume, we were not nearly as good as a traditional manufacturing company. So there's a trade-off. There's a benefit to each side of this, and it's really about optimizing what's most important to you. I have a follow-up question to that, that that just popped into mind, because you mentioned when you're small, you have the ability to be a little more innovative. But there are a lot of large companies out there these days that are trying to be more innovative as well. What, what advice do you give to a large company that wants to be more innovative? One, it's really hard. So the things that make you good at being a large company is what I would call things we would call management. So management is essentially creating process or procedures using best practices to get a predictable outcome. And it's highly rewarded. And by the way, I ran a large public company. It's really necessary if you don't want to get fired. So it's good. On the other hand, the better you, the better you get at that, the worse you are at doing all the things that it takes to be good at innovation. You're talking about taking a risk, not knowing what you're going to get as an outcome and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. I would say that anyone here that works in a large company, that generally gets you fired. It doesn't get you promoted, right? There's a small number of people. So I think what we tried to do, at one point Cree got so big that to do the best innovation, we literally created teams in secret and did not, we totally separated them from the traditional running of the business. So the mm. Creality bulb was developed over a year in secret by five employees and we told none of the other 7,000 employees. So is the advice then create these secret groups that allows you to innovate quicker? <laughs> I, I, it depends how far you want to go. Okay. So if, if you were going to say, I want to do, look, innovation takes a lot of forms. If we were, if we were trying to do something incremental, but if you want to do something that's completely outside the boundary conditions of what you're doing today, you have to create an environment where breaking the rules is the goal. And, mm -hmm. and the problem is if we try to do that in a normal organization, how do you wrestle with the fact that your metrics tell you to do one thing and I'm telling you to do the other thing? It doesn't work that way. Management systems inherently are designed to prevent this. So what I would do is I would create necessarily secret mm -hmm. but separate teams with okay. very different objectives and a very different mindset. So I had a chance to interview the people at American Family Insurance. 92-year-old yep. company. I would have thought there's nothing innovative about insurance. Yeah. They've literally created a parallel organization that's doing this. And they embrace it for what it is. Mm -hmm. They accept the tension that comes from it. But there's a different mindset to the people that work in that part than into the other part. And by the way, that's a good thing. Because if you have a claims problem and you want someone to help you, you don't necessarily want the most innovative person answering the call going, I don't know, but we could probably figure something out. You want someone who goes, yeah, I know how to help you out right away. So I think it's important to understand that it's a different approach for a different problem. And, and the reason I'm asking those questions is I know 
at least on the manufacturing happy hour side, we have a lot of manufacturing leaders that some work for small companies, some work for large companies as well that are listening to this. So I wanted to make sure we were answering it for, for that audience on there. But on that note, maybe the topic we're on right now is an appropriate time to do it as well. I know you have your audience at Innovators on Tap. So is there anything that I haven't brought up yet that, that you're curious about? So what I always like to ask people about is a couple things. You work for a very successful large company. Mm -hmm. And do you think that Rockwell is innovative to my definition? To your definition? And should it be? That's a good question. I'm thinking about this right now. I'm figuring out what my, because I, I want to say I'm like, I'm 50-50 on it. Because I do see that. I, I do see innovation, risk-taking, according to your definition taking place. At the same time, you know, a large company like Rockwell Automation has its, has its areas that they're experts in already and needs to metric those and needs to continue to, to excel at those. But if I look at that, I would genuinely feel comfortable saying, yes, I think we've got that right balance between those two where we're taking innovative approaches. And there are examples where people come up with new ideas at the, at the organization that people are able to run with. I think there's a, an environment of empowerment, a culture of empowerment that allows people to do those type of things. Yeah, so one of the things I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about is one of the other ideas in a large company is to create a situation. So in a large company, you're not worried about typically if you're going to be fired next month because the company ran out of money. That's correct. And so what you look at, and this comes from the people that fund like Google Ventures and those guys, they actually have a different success rate with companies they fund through Google Ventures than the ones they fund internally. They get much more, not breakthrough ideas, but breakthrough innovations from the companies that their life depends on whether or not they can get there. And so one of the things I would say is that if we were at Rockwell, and I don't know a lot about the business anymore, it's been 30 years since I interviewed there, but um, I would say if you wanted to be super innovative there, I'd create a team of people with a problem to solve, and if they don't solve it, they're all gonna lose their job. And what you will do is you will take all the boundary conditions that come from the normal organization, and they'll put them to the side and say, wait, this is all in. And, and it's not a negative, or, I, I, people take this as judgmental, it's not, but it's very different. I was at a company that was six million and one that was at 1.6 billion. Mm -hmm. At six million, you're fighting for your life. You can break every rule tomorrow because no one really cares. It's either that or you're going home anyways. Mm -hmm. When you're in a successful business, it's very hard to break some of the things that made you successful in the first place. It just is. And so I think part of it's creating a human nature dynamic that creates for the problem you want to solve, do we have a dynamic that creates the risk that you want to take? And again, it's not one size fits all. And so I would right. say in much of Rockwell's business, that would be the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. But there are probably areas, for example, the newer areas, mm -hmm. it's oftentimes for companies, the thing you're not as good at is the easiest one to innovate in. Because if you're not the leader, you're way more willing to take a risk to try to become the leader. Less but downside. Once, right. But yeah. once you are the leader, it's really tough. And that happened at Cree. So um, I, I, I want to kind of get an example on this. You mentioned American Family Insurance. Great episode, by the way. Check that out. Innovators on Tap, uh, one of your more recent ones. Do you have an example of a large company that you think has that right balance that you've seen? Or do you think that's still an opportunity for someone to crack? 
I don't know that I've seen anyone that has a really good approach to doing this in a large company. I would say what I've seen at American Family is probably the most advanced approach to really thinking this through. And, and they would tell you, honestly, they're still figuring it out. And this is not a negative on what other companies are doing. I, there is a tension in a large business. I was the... I became a large company. I lived this. When I left Cree, we were much less innovative than when I started. Mm -hmm. So I had 16 years as CEO, and when I left, it wasn't the same company because that's not what we were paid to do. The shareholders pay you to do something, and so we were good at that. Mm -hmm. And so I think this tension is difficult. I, my sense is, is when you're going to be able to do it, and it reminds me of a story that Bill Ford told. Okay. So uh, Bill Ford spoke a few years ago that after the financial crisis – when they put up the Blue Ford Oval, they mortgaged it to basically keep the company funded. He said it was the only time in his, it, it was the only point in his time at Ford that they were able to make the changes that he for five years could not make as the CEO. Because once the company's name, his family heritage was mortgaged, then all the other rules went out the window. So he, he put him in a situation. And I, so I think for large organizations, they're much more innovative when they have to be. It's kind of like that old saying, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. It's really helpful for innovation, too. We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Milwaukee Brewing Company. Milwaukee Brewing played host to us at their Arena District Brewery located on 9th Street in downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right next to the historic Pabst Brewery. Milwaukee Brewing Company has come a long way since 1997, not only with the opening of their brand new 9th Street Brewery, but also being voted as Milwaukee's best craft brewery in 2019. The list of beers you can find from MKE Brewing is certainly not a short one. From hoppy IPAs to stouts brewed in partnership with local coffee roasters, my personal favorite is their Outboard Cream Ale. That light beer is perfect on a good summer day in Milwaukee or a good winter day at that. If you want to learn more about Milwaukee Brewing Co., make sure to check them out at mkebrewing.com or more importantly, if you're in the Milwaukee area, make sure to hit them up at their 9th Street Brewery. And now, back to today's episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour. I feel like we could keep going on with this conversation. I've got some other other areas I want to talk to as well around your around your career that I'd love to look at. And and we've got a mix of students and early career folks from Rockwell in this audience tonight. And you and I talked about this a little before uh, before we dove into tonight's conversation. You're an example of someone that did a lot of things at one company, from marketing to operations, from leading the whole organization. You know, what would be your advice to someone that's relatively young in their career about getting started and managing their career, probably for lack of a better word? Yeah, so you can probably imagine, he said the word managing your career, and I'm going to be like, I didn't do that. I set you up for that. <laughs> so I can relate my experience. My experience was one of recognizing opportunities and taking advantage of it. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty happy to jump in and whatever was coming my way, work on that, and another opportunity would come up. I think what most people miss is they're so focused on trying to manage their career to some predetermined endpoint, they realize that they're not as in control as they think they are. So, you know, one of my sayings to people when they ask me for career advice is, opportunity is going to knock. 
You don't pick when it knocks and you don't pick how it knocks, but you got to decide if you're going to answer the door or not. And then you react to it. And so my career is a series of opportunities, problems that need to be solved. And someone said, hey, would you go do this? Sure. I never intended to be the CEO of Cree. In fact, when I was first offered the job, I wasn't sure I wanted it because I knew what a shitty job it was going to be. And when I say that, it pays well, but you pretty much have no life for the rest of the time you're in that job. You also know that the next job you get is fired. Like that's the only job after CEO is you either quit or get fired. So you, know, you kind of got to decide, do you want that life? But I, I think this career idea, I, I meet so many people who want to try to manage it. What I would say is in some companies, that's a very practical approach. But in other organizations and most entrepreneurs I've met, what they do is they're very good at seeing opportunities and taking advantage of them when they present themselves. One thing I'm curious about, I love the idea of taking advantage of opportunities. I think you've phrased it differently before, like look at areas where you can solve problems too, as those are spots to take a look at. I think one thing that gets missed with a number of people early in their career is that early career folks are, you can be a leader in whatever job you're in, regardless of what point you are in your career. Whether you have direct reports or not, you are a leader if you're able to influence people to get the right work done. I'm curious, as someone that's been through this for multiple decades, what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? So I didn't get a lot of formal advice in my career. I basically, it was just dive in, solve a problem, and you kind of survived it. And uh, I'll, I'll relay something that Mike Lovell, the president of Marquette, said on one of our podcasts. Okay. And I, he said, as he became a leader, he never had any formal training. And he feels really sorry for all the people that worked for him for all those years because basically he became a better leader and they suffered through that process. And, and what I would say is leadership's learned and it is definitely different than management. I think what you're poking at a little mm -hmm. bit is I remember people coming and asking me, hey, I'd like to be a leader of a larger group. And I'd say, I can't do that. I can make you the manager, mm -hmm. but you make yourself the leader. Leader is about creating followership. And I know that sounds a little bit philosophical, but if you really look at what works out there, so I think if you want to be a leader, humble, you got to become introspective. You got to be honest about every day on the people interactions, realize it never goes as good as you want it to be. And so if you're not going to work on it every day and take it seriously, you never actually get, it's kind of like golf. You can practice all you want. You never really can beat golf. You can get a little bit better, but at the end of the day, it's still a game about surviving failures. Mm -hmm. And that's what leadership is. And so you got to embrace it for that and realize it's an ongoing journey. I tell people, I'm still growing as a leader today mm -hmm. and I still don't think I'm doing a very good job. And I think part of it is you got to get in that mindset because maybe the way to think about it is this. When I would drive home at night from work, I would replay my day. And every night I try to ask myself in the interactions I had with people, did it go the way I wanted? And it had nothing to do with what the words are. You got to learn to look at a person, and decide, do they care what you're saying? Body language is everything. And so if we just look around the crowd, some of you are really into it and some of you are wishing you had another beer right now and you should go get that beer. That's okay. <laughs> but my point is leadership's the same thing. If you watch, you can see. And, and, but I think so few of us take the time to do that. And maybe let me flip it around. What do you think defines leadership? What do I think defines leadership? I think leadership to me comes down to influence, being able to, and there's a line where it's like not necessarily taking people where they want to go, but where they need to go. And the reason I bring up the word influence, because we live in a world where like 
influencers are looked at these people with thousands of followers on social media or a platform. I don't think that really has anything to do with it. I don't think those influencers have a whole lot of influence. I think it really depends on actually having a group of people that you can motivate and take them to a spot that might challenge them, might make them uncomfortable, but ultimately, let's say in the case of a company, helps you grow, helps you innovate, helps you get to that uh, that next level in your business that you weren't at before. Yeah, that, one of the words I would use to describe what you're talking about is that um, leadership is convincing people to do something that they don't think is possible. Ooh, so if deeper you than actually, my... you get them to create action. So think about it. If you can convince someone to take action and they're not sure it's going to work, that's when you know you're actually making some progress. But let's just flip this around. So... I think maybe some of your coworkers and other people from Rockwell are here. One of the challenges I had as a leader is you rarely get honest insight. So as a leader, people love to tell you, no matter how culturally good your organization is at being open-minded, people try to tell the boss what they think they want to hear. So for me, the most important thing was to find people who would share with me what I call the brutal truth. Like, really, how do you see things? So without getting yourself into trouble... <laughs> If you were to provide some brutal truth about what are things that you think Rockwell leadership should hear, that if they heard it, they could be more effective as leaders. I love the, the tough questions you're giving me about my company, but I have an answer to this. And for anyone at Rockwell that has a look of dread coming across their face right now, I don't think you're going to hate this answer. One of the first, this is going to be a piece of career advice to anyone early in their career, any students as well. The first thing I would say about any time you're giving feedback, particularly uh, constructive criticism, always do that in a one-on-one -on -one environment instead of in like in a meeting or in front of an auditorium full of people, or in our case, a brewery full of people. So that's where I'm going to start with that answer. I might not answer this as specifically as you want, but one thing that that I've found is what allows the what what allows that type of communication to take place is a culture where. Not only are you creating groups to take on the things that are most important to your company that are going to allow you to grow in the long term, whether that's inclusion, whether that's how we're diversifying our portfolio, any of those things. It's not only having like, let's say, we'll call it a task force, for example. It's not only having that communication mechanism, but it's also having a place where egos can be dropped, where those conversations can happen one-on-one -on -one between regardless of what level you're at, between people at multiple areas within the organization. And I think as someone that's been at Rockwell for 10 years, that's one thing that we've done phenomenally well, where let me use a personal example. I'm a sales guy. When it comes to things that I would like to see changed in an organization, it's going to be customer centricity. It's going to be speed that we're able to take care of an issue, things along those lines. I've been fortunate enough to be able to have those mechanisms and have not only groups of people to share that with, but individuals I can share that with as well. So I don't know if that answered it as directly as you were hoping, but that's no, that's where I'm going with that answer. I, I purposely put you on the spot. As a retired guy, that's what I get to do. But what's interesting, I um, <laughs> that's actually a normal conversation at Cree. So if you want to know what it looks like inside a very innovative culture, we had something yeah. called the brutal truth. We wanted constructive feedback in the group setting, not one-on-one. -on -one. So if you thought someone had a stupid idea, say it was a stupid idea. And it wasn't to insult the other person. So one of the rules we had was everyone was responsible for their own mental state. 
So it's up to you to assume that when I give you that feedback, I'm talking about the problem. And if we all start there, it's an amazingly different dynamic. Now, I will tell you, this assumes you have an organization where the people you work with, you have to have genuine trust, right? Yeah. So, it, and by the way, it's very hard to do in large organizations, but this is what we did. And so what you would find is it would take us so little time to get to the heart of an issue and solve it. That was our advantage, right? Remember, Cree was making the blue LED. We were this tiny little company. There were companies like, you might've heard of General Electric or Philips or Osram. Mm -hmm. They were kind of big. And we're like, they're going to kill us, except that they spent all their time talking to each other about stuff that didn't really matter. And we spent our time going, that sucks. How do we fix it? Let's go solve it. Let's move on to the next thing. And if everyone can embrace that, you can go faster. Now, that being said, it is, I think the thing we miss is it requires an incredible amount of energy from the leaders to pull that off. Because not only sure. do the people need to buy in, but the leaders have to realize that can get out of hand if you're not careful. And the leaders have to make sure that everyone realizes there is not, it's, it's, it has to be about the person. The time, the moment someone goes offline and makes it personal, which is very easy to happen, mm -hmm. you have to deal with that also in public yeah. so they know it's not acceptable. What's interesting is when you do that, the group is now managing itself. You're solving problems real time and the leader's job actually gets easier. I like this whole two-way interview thing because now we can get two different perspectives in the same show. And I, I like everything you're saying as well, and I think there's a lot of value to that. And I'm, I am the type of person that if you do need to call me out in front of an audience, you totally can. I'm all about that. I think that leads, leads to my growth. But I'd be interested, though, what's the first step for someone that does not have that type of culture in their organization to take to get there? I think you have to first decide, does your organization want that culture? Mm-hmm. And when I say want it, I mean, everybody's got to want it. And I would say most organizations, they probably shouldn't go down that path because honestly, hmm. they're better at other things. Look, I want to be clear. I'm passionate about innovation. It is a solution to a select number of problems. Most of the problems that a business or an organization needs to solve are not innovation driven. Innovation is not the answer to every problem. In fact, most organizations need to figure out how do we just give the customer what they want every day at a fair price and not screw up their lives. I mean, it's business can be, re, most businesses have very much more basic, simple problems. And so I think, be careful when I'm providing this advice, it's very specifically geared towards if innovation is your goal. I think in some organizations, it would be the wrong approach. In fact, what I would say is um, in most traditional organizations, you'd be better off finding ways to take it in pieces and embrace the fact that you have other great things about your culture. One of the things that uh, I thought the American Family Guy said really well, and I was really impressed with him because I really went into that thinking, there's no way insurance is innovative. Mm -hmm. And they said, look, for 92 years, there are people that built this company and made it what it is. And we're not successful by accident. And all those things they do every day, those are just as important and oftentimes more important. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to be a little careful. We, we have businesses that have, quote, we want to make innovation the answer. It's the answer to some of your problems. It's not the answer to all of your problems. So be really careful because I've seen companies that go so far down that path, they forget what they were good at, and now they've got nothing. And so I think you just got to find the right balance. So I just want to be careful that it's not a one-size-fit-all thing. In, in your experience, do you ever feel you veered too far one way or the other? Do you look back and think, now that you have 
this way to see innovation versus, I guess, focusing on the core business, maybe for lack of a better I would word, call it management know? versus uh, more Manage of a management mentality versus an innovation driven mentality. And management's okay. not a negative word. It's controlling stuff to get the result you signed up for, right? It's what most people get rewarded right. for. Like, yeah. It's kind of like you sign up for a sales goal and you hit it. Like that's generally a good thing. Yeah. If you said to your boss, hey, thing. I'm super innovative. <laughs> I didn't get any orders this quarter, but look at this cool shit I learned. They'd be like, that's great. That does not fly. So um, I, where were we going with that? Now that I said that, I lost Well, we, uh, where I was going with that was I'm just curious. We, looking back on your career, would you um, have balanced that differently at any point? Yes, but not for the reason you think. Okay. So when I joined Cree, it was incredibly innovative. I loved it. I became addicted to it. It's what I'm passionate about. And as Cree got bigger, I could either turn the reins over to someone else or I could become a better manager. So mm -hmm. I can tell you, being the CEO of a $100 million company with maybe 1,000 employees is radically different from a $1.6 billion company with 7,000 employees. It's just a different job. Mm -hmm. And I had to decide to become better at management. And I learned how to do it. And in the end, I think I did a fair job of it. And if I did it again, I would either keep the company more innovative longer and take my chances, or I would have given the reins over to another CEO sooner. The company's in a great place today, and it's being really well run. I'm super excited. I'm still a large shareholder. It's doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. I don't like doing that. And so one of the pieces of advice we haven't gotten to is I think you got to be really honest about what you're not only what you're good at, but what you like to do. And when mm -hmm. I say like, I, like it's work. There's a reason they pay you to do it. If you, if you would do it for free, they wouldn't pay you, okay? So it's supposed to be kind of hard and there's things you're not going to like about it. But at the end of the day, I much more prefer the risk-taking environment, challenging people, the very leadership-centric. I learned how to be a pretty good manager, mm -hmm. but I wasn't having any fun. And by when I say fun, I, I don't mean like I went to work on Yeehaw. Right. When you're not having fun as a CEO, what it basically means is this. Every day problems come up, and what you see when the problem comes up is you go, oh, I know exactly how this is going to go, and I can think of the seven things that are going to have to deal with to get to the other side of this. Mm -hmm. When you're in the right frame of mind, hey, that problem came up, and you go, yep, challenges, but every one of those is an opportunity to come up with something different. And by the end of my career, I got to a place where I started seeing the problem and stopped seeing the opportunity trying to think we got about five minutes left in our conversation right now so i'm trying to figure out where so i'd like to ask you a question i'd love it i really have two. First one is what is your definition of a media maverick because i saw you posting that you're a media maverick and i'm not sure what that is and i want to know yeah great question um i one it sounds good it's got some alliteration to it that would be the first thing it fits in a linkedin profile really easily and I, I, it's I, awesome I, <laughs> it's, i was curious if anyone ever asked you what it meant yeah no it's uh, you are the first person to ever ask that question but i do think i have an answer to it you know you talk about doing like figuring out what you like to do and i guess the origin story behind manufacturing happy hour was it came out of a mix of necessity and fun. Like I loved being on camera. I loved being on stage. I used to play in bands and things like that. And I'm like, I have this skill set. At the same time, I had just moved from Houston, Texas to the Bay Area. So I had moved from calling on a customer base of people that had been at their companies for 20, 30 years and in, in Texas where handshake and the relationship was really important. 
I moved to an environment where 20-somethings and 30-somethings were making all the decisions, hoodie-clad environment. They wanted answers quickly, and I needed a way to reach that audience. So I came up with the idea of doing Manufacturing Happy Hour as a video series that, that I was able to get out there, and it was... I think where the whole media maverick comes from, it was it, it's the way I've managed that whole process so far. I've looked at what's the problem I'm having and what's the solution to it. And in that case, it was I needed a medium to reach a younger audience. And my answer to that has been media. And I think the maverick part comes from it where it's like, you know what? I'm in sales. I got to act fast. I need to do what's right. So you take that little bit of a cowboy approach to it and get the right content out there to help your customers and ultimately create content that gets the right conversation going and gets the right engagement going with people. So I don't know if that answered your question. Well, it sounds a lot better than media sales guy. Right. Yeah, that would be lame. That would not, that would not be cool. All right. <laughs> Second question for you. And I, this is something I do on all my podcasts because I'm interested in you know, Innovators on Tap is about mindset, right? It's it's not what did you invent, it's why were you able to take that risk and do that? So my favorite question to ask is this. What is your, in your career so far, Okay. what's your biggest failure? So as far as my biggest failure goes, I'm going to start with the best piece of advice I ever got on failure because it's topical to where we are in Milwaukee right now too. Right before I was about to relocate to Houston, Texas, for basically my first full-time job, I went out to lunch with our regional vice president for that area. And I remember a couple things about that conversation, but the thing that sticks out the most, because it was one of those things where it's like, hey, you're going into your first sales job, what, what type of advice would you give? And the line that has stuck with me to this day was him telling me, if you're not losing, you're not trying hard enough. And that's definitely, I mean, it's a sales-oriented type type thing, but it all you could you could say you could put if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough, also. And I remember pursuing a large opportunity, large greenfield opportunity early in my career for let's say about two years. And I remember getting to the end of that pursuit. I had all the right help, I had done all the right things, I had followed the sales process to the T. And I remember getting the phone call saying I had lost that order. And that was, I mean, it was miserable. Like right when you're getting started, you put a lot of your effort into that right at the start of your career. But I thought back to that line that my that, that guy had told me. I thought back to that point. It's like, all right, this is just the first loss that really sucks. But I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to make sure I'm calling on the right people on the, in the future and I'm going to make sure I never forget this feeling so that way the next time around I take the right steps. And even though I'm only a decade into my career at this point, it's interesting being able to reflect on those experiences where you can learn everything by the book the first time around, but able to look back and say, wow, I know what that felt like, not only like tactically, but also emotionally, and be able to work from that to begin with. Yeah, and what I would say is I think that uh, there's a distinction between learning from the book and actually learning. And the fact is, is that if you've experienced it and you survived it, it, it makes an imprint on you that really can transform what you do the next time. And mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I think too often we tell people that they're supposed to seek perfection when in reality, it's not that you want to try to fail, but you want to push yourself and realize that if you do, it's not really failure. You just learn something you didn't know before and now reapply that and do something else again. Yeah. And I, I think I totally agree with that. I think 
the nice thing about when you have a experience in sales at any point is you get really comfortable knowing that you're not going to win all the time. And then you start ad like adapting to that ability to fail and be like, this is okay. Like I'm going to win at some point. I might win tomorrow. It might be a year, whatever that is. But you just start getting that mentality in place. And I think that's where I've been lucky in that regard, because I think that for a lot of people, they are not comfortable with that idea of failure. And I'm glad I've been able to get get that on a regular basis for the past 10 years. All right. We are at the seven o'clock hour. So we know most of you came to drink beer, not to listen to us. <laughs> but uh, I want to just say from my perspective, uh, thank you all for being here. This is really cool. When Chris, well, I heard about his podcast and I realized we both have a podcast based around beer drinking. Yes. It's a pretty cool idea. We have a very, it, we share it in common. What I want to tell you, though, is one last advertisement for tonight. So those of you who may be have any connection to Marquette or just want to help out, this is normally the start of National Marquette Give Day, which is just a chance to remind everyone we can do something to give back. We have these cool pint glasses, and I know you're not going to believe this, but I paid for my own, where if you make a donation uh, you can have to National Marquette Day from $10, you can have these great pint glasses, and it's a commemorative, and all the money actually goes to fund the actual other podcast. So just so you know, our podcast, I don't know how yours work, ours is 100% donor or sponsor funded. So Marquette's not spending any of their money, and that's okay. We'll find a way to do this, but if you get a chance and want to give back, that would be great. And I'll just leave it with you. Anything you want to say? Yes, my podcast is 100% personally funded as well, but I do not have like a campaign that goes behind that. But that's a great idea. I should have that for the next time we're here. The last thing I just want to do is thank you all for being here and to raise a glass to all of you. So one final cheers. Thanks for being a part of the first ever Innovators on Tap Manufacturing Happy Hour collaboration. Cheers to all of you. Cheers, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Chuck for jumping on today's show. Quite frankly, there are a lot of people to thank for today's show. Thank you to Marquette University and Rockwell Automation for collaborating on this episode. And also, thanks to Milwaukee Brewing Company for hosting us. Now, this episode is not quite over yet, to be honest. We actually did some Q&A at the end of the conversation, so that will be coming out as a bonus episode in the very near future. Also, we mentioned that Chuck has a book coming out. We mentioned a handful of resources. If you want to learn more about any of the stuff that we talked about during today's episode, check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com. In fact, you can get directly to this episode by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 13 that is one three because this is episode 13 one last thing before we wrap up for today as always if you're liking the show if you had a lot of fun listening to this episode consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at itunes in addition to giving us great feedback on what we can do to make the show better it also helps put the show on the map when you say great things about it again that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash itunes and with that, that is it for today's show. Thank you to everyone that came out to enjoy the show in Milwaukee. Hopefully, we'll be doing live shows again in the near future. When that is, I don't know yet, but I will certainly keep you posted. With that, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again here next time. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.